the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Your word is sharper than any two-edged sword. And it cuts deep into my heart. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the end of the week. It's Friday, and this is the word to stand on for life. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. And what we do here, as most of you know, is we take your phone calls and answer Bible questions or questions about what we believe as Christians and why. Sometimes we get questions about life situations. We'll do the best that we can. All you have to do is ask us. You can call us at 210-340-9585. That's 340-9585. If you're outside the local San Antonio area, you can call toll-free at 877-630-KSLR. That's 630-5757. You can email questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com or you can send them in via our free Calvary Chapel of San Antonio mobile app. Once again, if you are driving in your car, the safest way to call is use the free KSLR mobile app. Uh, Just hit the call now banner at the top of the screen and you will be connected directly to our studio producer. Then you can drive hands free and we can deal with it that way as well. One more time, our main number is 340-9585. I'm going to get right to the questions. Let me just say that um, tonight we have a Bible study here at 7 o'clock. I'm going to be, it's our next to last study in the book of Hebrews. Um, We'll be in Hebrews chapter 13 tonight. It's all about consistency. And uh, that's something that we all should really, really desire in our hearts. So uh, if you can't make it here, we've always got room on our midweek studies. Um, You can still watch us live streaming it at calvarysa.com. Okay, let me get to some questions that have been sent in, and we'll just take it from there while we await your phone calls. Uh, Our first question is an anonymous one. Would your church consider an actively gay man as a pastor? Now, Anonymous, I don't know what your motive for asking the question is. I'm going to assume that you just want to know and haven't been listening to this program. Um, The answer is absolutely not. Uh, Any more than I would consider an an actively um, um, drunk man or or, uh, a man who is living or having sex with somebody that he's not married to, male or female, of course we couldn't consider that man as a pastor. And the question seems so obvious, and yet this is sort of a, a, a look into the, the future, because we're living in a time that just a matter of a couple of years ago, we never would have believed these questions could be asked in a Christian audience. So no, we would never consider an actively gay man as a pastor. I would never consider an abusive husband is a pastor. I would never consider somebody with a problem with anger, somebody who was unkind as a pastor. Why? Because sin separates them from being in the will of God and also being empowered by the Spirit of God. And an actively gay man, and I know there are denominations, once Christian but no longer, that's the case. 
uh, that would consider uh, and have considered and approved actively gay men is, and women, by the way, as pastors. But those are people that are completely outside the faith. Why would you want to come to hear the Word of God being taught by a man who has no regard for the Word of God? See, these are the kind of things that we really need to think through as we wrestle with these kind of questions. The world around us, the secular world around us, would say, well, uh, gay men are the same as, 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 as straight men, and, and they're just as smart, they're just as spiritual, they're just as safe. The answer is no, they're not. The truth is, we've got to do things His way, God's way. Jesus Christ is the head of the church. He makes the rules. And he says that a pastor ought to be above reproach. Now, let me answer the obvious cynic's question here. Well, what about all those pastors who end up cheating on their wives or having affairs with other people or all of the abuse, the sexual abuse scandals that are going on in churches all over the world and, and, and have been going on like that for some time? What about those pastors that are taking advantage of people and getting rich? You know, you, you don't look at rule breakers. Instead, our job is to look at the one who makes the rules. And for every abuser, for every adulterer, for every thief, there are literally thousands of men who are trying to do the work that God's called them to do. So anonymously answered your question is no. Um, any church that has an actively gay man or woman as a pastor has left the faith. And we need to accept it. Jesus Christ, the head of the church, makes the rules. Personally, and I'll narrow it down to Calvary Chapel of San Antonio, although I am the pastor, this isn't my church. This is Jesus' church, I do my role, and I have to do it on his terms. And it's a real tragedy, Anonymous, that we've gotten to a place in the world that we live in now where we think even the rules of God don't matter so much anymore. Here is a question from Mitchell. He says, uh, Pastor Ron, how can you so confidently affirm Christianity as the truth while every other religion is false. Uh, well, Mitchell, you know, the, the truth, not your truth or my truth, but the truth is the only thing that matters. And only of Christianity, only of Christianity, is it said that you can examine the evidence and the evidence overwhelmingly points to an objective, not a subjective, but an objective truth. So here's how I know for sure that Christianity is true. We can go back historically and determine the evidence is overwhelming that Jesus Christ really lived. Jesus of Nazareth, he was a real human. We can look and find that he died. The evidence for his murder is overwhelming. Equally overwhelming is the evidence for his resurrection from the dead, just as he predicted. We then can look at the fruit of that life, death, and resurrection, and we see a world that has been radically changed by a man who walked the earth some 2,000 years ago and had very little impact at the time he lived. I mean, at the time of his death, there was about 120 followers. A time that didn't have the benefit of modern travel, didn't have the benefit of the information age that we live in. You know, you couldn't tweet somebody and spread the news. And yet this one man has changed the world beyond what anybody ever could have imagined in their wildest dreams. And that's how I know Christianity is true. There is a tomb that should have had a body in it and that body wasn't there. This isn't something Christians make up. And you can go to any and every other religion 
and, and you, you know by now I don't like calling Christianity a religion. It's not. It's a living, breathing, vibrant relationship. But you can go to any other religion. And if you examine the claims of the founder of that religion, it's easy to find out that those things are demonstrably untrue. And, and these days, Mitchell, you know, when we tell somebody that, that uh, uh, well, what we believe is this, they say, yeah, but I don't believe that. I believe this. Um, we Christians need to be more forceful in love and certainly not being rude, but we need to say, but see, what you believe isn't true, and I can prove it's not true. What I believe is true, and I can prove it's not true. So those are the things that we have to really, really hold on to. And um, uh, Mitchell, once you grasp the truth, and the word truth is mutually exclusive, you can't have two contradicting things both be true. That's why the enemy has always been attacking the truth. That's why Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. If what we believe as Christians, Mitchell, isn't true, then we're all lost. Because then it's true that there is no God. Of course, our God is real, and he is alive. Let's go to Jeff calling from San Antonio on line one. Jeff, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Hi, Pastor Ron. I couldn't wait to call you today, so... Um, <laughs> That's okay. Good. Good. Uh, I don't want to sound like a broken record, but these last um, these last Bible studies in, in Isaiah from like pretty much from from the fifties on till sixty one have just been just so. I guess you used the word transformational. Uh, and and this in past this past Wednesday. I don't know. There was just something so so sweet uh, about the things that you you talked about. You know, when when you talked about prayer and and how the prayer of man moves the hand of God and the watchmen and the walls and everything. So I was going to make a comment about that, but I just wanted a compliment to you. But then I listened to Paula's uh, judges uh, Samson class on on Monday. Her teaching, <laughs> and she. And so I want to ask you about a verse that she brought up at the end of that teaching that I've just been, wow, it's one of those kind of verses, man, uh, that I'd like for you to comment on. And it's uh, 1 Corinthians 4, uh, 2 through 5, when he, when Paul talks about a person who's put in charge as a manager, must be faithful, and then all the way to the end where, where he talks about um, he'll bring out the darkest secrets uh, to light and will reveal our private motives. Would you comment on, on those verses, please, Pastor? I, I can, Thank Jeff. You. Thank you very, very much. First uh, Corinthians chapter 4, um, uh, verse 2 in particular, is a verse that I use at our church a lot. You know, we wonder why there are trials. We wonder why there are struggles. And, and Paul lays it out. And I think this is something that, that we who are Christians really have to, to embrace. Uh, he says simply, and I'm going to read this out of the, the uh, 84 NIV. It says it is required. It's not suggested. It is required that those who have been given a trust by God must, not should, must prove faithful. And you see, what, what's going to happen here for every believer Who's, who's given something to do for the kingdom of God, is you're going to have to demonstrate your faithfulness. One of the things, Jeff, that happens in our church culture, people shop churches, they're looking for a place where, where their gifts can be utilized. Now, that's fine, but most of the time they want a public platform. And I always tell people when they come in, you know, why don't you take a seat? Why don't you serve in some invisible ministry? Let's get to know who you are. You can get to know who we are. And you can demonstrate your faithfulness. I had a, uh, a man who uh, has been of enormous impact in my life. And he came to me, I'm going to guess, 13 or 14 years ago now. And he's brand new in the church, made an appointment to see me. Now, that's unusual. And um, 
when I said, okay, what's on your heart? He introduced himself to me and he said, I'm reporting for duty. Now, he was a military guy, and so that made a lot of sense to him. And But, but for me, it was kind of unusual. So I said, well, what do you mean you're reporting for duty? And his response was, I'm here to serve. You need to know I'm available. I will serve however I'm asked to serve. Now, when people say things like that, usually they don't mean it. Mean it. Well, this man has been here serving, doing anything and everything that's been asked of him for the last 13 or 14 years. And over those years, the responsibilities he's been given have increased in terms of impact and importance and visibility by others in the church. And the reason is because he's proven faithful. God gave him a test. He passed the test. Now, that doesn't mean we're not going to keep giving tests because those tests are always going to be a part of what we do. But um, every man, every woman who's been given gifts by God, who's been given a direction by God, they're going to have to prove that they're going to be faithful. God isn't looking for people who are hot one day and cold the next. You know, Jeff, in in Revelation chapter 3 to the letter, uh, speaking of the letter to the Laodiceans, Jesus said, you're neither hot or cold. I wish you were one or the other. And then he said, you're lukewarm. You make me sick. I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. And so uh, in, in this particular case, these tests are things that we should expect and embrace. Now, Samson, I don't know how Paula connected this, but but Samson, you know, didn't pass the test. He killed the Philistines. He delivered uh, his people from their hand. Um, But he didn't prove faithful through any of it. God's not just the the ends justify the means kind of guy. God says, no, my terms, my plan, my way. And we have to prove faithful. And, and the next two verses, and uh, you, you mentioned th- these verses, but didn't ask specifically about them, Jeff. But but uh, I love the, the humility of Paul here. And this is something that we all need to embrace. He said, I care very little if I'm judged by you or any human court. Indeed, I do not even judge myself. My conscience is clear, but that doesn't make me innocent. It is the Lord who judges me. You know what he's saying there? And this is so important for us to understand as we walk through our Christian lives. Um, Paul says, I'm doing the best I can. Remember, he's facing a lot of opposition in Corinth. This is a church that's out of control, completely given over to carnality. They're, they're believers, by and large, but they're given over to car- carnality. And uh, he says, you know, I'm just doing the best I can. You can say this about me or you can say that about me, but that doesn't matter to me at all. He says, in fact, I'm doing, and this is important, I'm doing what I think is right. I'm doing it to the best of my ability by the power of God's Spirit. But I could be wrong. Paul had some of the same insecurities and struggles that we all have. You know, we we think we're in the will of God, but then we see some results or some circumstances that would indicate maybe we made a wrong decision. Paul basically says, look, you can't judge me. I don't even judge myself. My conscience is clear. In other words, my heart is right with God, but that doesn't make me innocent. I could be wrong. I love the humility. I could be wrong, but if I am, God will fix it. I tell people all the time, Jeff, that if your heart is right with God, you don't have to be right. God will fix it. And that's what this passage in 1 Corinthians is all about. It is one that we talk about a lot here, especially in our leadership classes here, the pastor's discipleship class um, uh, here at Calvary Chapel. Um, we need to go easy on ourselves, do the best we can, leave the, leave the results to God. But then we got to stay faithful and consistent through the tests. Thanks for the question, Jeff. I love that passage of Scripture. And thank you. Uh, the, the, the Bible study I did this past um, Wednesday night, uh, just a couple of nights ago, was in Isaiah 62. It is available for free at calvaryessay.com. Uh, and it was for me, I, I won't speak for anybody else, but it was for me a very special study. In fact, so far, uh, the, the, the Bible study I did in Isaiah 53, 
um, and and uh, Isaiah 62 are, are my two favorite ones. Jeff, God bless you, and we will be praying for your trip tomorrow. Be safe. Let's go to my friend in San Leandro, California, Tanya, online one. Tanya, thanks for calling. It is really good to hear from you. I've been worrying a little bit. No, no, don't don't worry, Papa Ron. I, I'm usually I'm usually listening in, um, and there's so many questions. I I, I just I, I got to focus. You know, I first uh, pray about them and see if the Lord will answer what I have. And nine times out of ten, there's an answer. And there's a couple of questions I got floating around in my head, though. Um, I do. Um, I, I think I think of the two. I'll ask the one that I, mostly on my heart. How do you address? Um, I am now leading a Bible study uh, in Romans. And um, there is a young lady in our group um, that it's evident there are some potential, uh, um, I don't want to, well, I'll just say uh, mental um, situations that have arisen. And uh, it's getting to be in, the, in, our, in our studies that it is a um, complaining and that nobody helps her, the poor me, the poor me. And I allow her to speak and say, you know, we're supposed to do works as unto the Lord as opposed to men. And she said, I'm tired of people saying all they're doing is praying for me. But when the offer of help has been uh, given, it's no, no, thank you. I, I don't want that. And there's just some other a little oddities um, that I've noticed. So uh, I'm, I'm um, being very compassionate. Uh, but some of the other folks in the uh, study have uh, mentioned that this is a little disruptive. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't really know how to handle that, Papa Ron. And I don't really know how to say, um, without being offensive, is should we should we get you looked at? Um, you know what I mean? Like without being rude or misrepresenting Jesus, because I would never want to do that. Um, mm-hmm. And she does have ch- children. She'll go on social media and say, "I need help. Someone come get these kids for me. I need a break." People will offer. But there's never a response. Um, so I, I don't, I, there's a plea f- for help. But I'm not certain as to whether it is something that is mental or just um, not really uh, saved or I don't really know what to say, Papa. And I'm hoping you've got some yeah. good advice. I'll try, Tanya. Thank you very much. We miss you. Mm-hmm. I miss you guys, too. Uh, A couple of things. I had uh, this exact same conversation yesterday in a counseling session with somebody. You know, we who are Christians, we have to come to a place where we realize that we can't force help on somebody who doesn't want it. Now, emotional or mental issues, mental health aside, um, the the one thing you've got to do as a leader of a Bible study is protect the Bible study. Um, the people who come to hear the Word of God need to be assured that that's what they're going to hear. And, and, and that requires the leader of the Bible study to take this person aside privately and say, you have been disruptive. This isn't being unkind. This is, is, is very similar to the way Paul speaks to the church at Corinth in 1 Corinthians. And we know that he did it with, with great anguish of heart and through many tears. Um, but but he, he sounds, if you listen, if you read First Corinthians, it just sounds like he's scolding them. And so what you do is you just sit down with somebody and say, you know, people come to hear the word and your complaining or your interjection is causing distraction. So here's what I would like you to do. I'm trying to show you the only source of help. I've got Jesus to offer. I have nothing else to offer. If you don't want him, if I can't help you learn to rely on him, then I got nothing else for you. And if that's the case, as much as it hurts my heart to say so, if that's the case, then I'm going to ask you either come to the Bible studies and be quiet or just stop coming at all. Again, remember, Tanya, the leader has to protect the group. They've come to hear the word of God. And there's always going to be someone who is needy. Uh, Tanya, you've heard me say this before, but I pray all the time for the lost, the hurting, uh, the hungry, the broken, the needy, and the confused. And this uh, woman in your group is, is both of the last two, needy and confused. And so spend some time privately. Give her the opportunity to embrace the Jesus that you're offering. And the answer that she provides is going to tell you whether or not she's really saved. 
But here's the thing. We can't help somebody that doesn't want help. And we've got to rest in the fact that God loves them more than we do. We've got to bring them up before the Lord in prayer constantly. But at the same time, Jesus said, don't cast your pearls before swine. Um, save your pearls for those who really want to hear and those who really want to do. And don't worry about what anybody thinks. Just do it. Do it in love. And uh, Jesus will go get her. If she will be gotten, Jesus will go get her. And you can only do so much. And and I know these are awkward things. I know we'd like to be uh, appear to be loving to everybody. But sometimes tough love is the best way to, 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 to make someone realize the urgency of their situation. So it's very, very important. Um, if she won't help or accept the help that you offer through Jesus, there's no way to help her. If she's a Christian, tell her she needs to start acting like one and start trusting her Christ. Tanya, thanks very much. 30 minutes left in the week, 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. We'll be back in two minutes. If you have questions about the Bible, you can send them to Pastor Ron and he'll answer them on the air or reply directly to you. Email your questions to PastorRonKSLR at gmail.com. That's PastorRonKSLR at gmail.com. Back to the word to stand on for life. We're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Now, here's Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome back to our final half hour of the week. 340-9585. We would love your calls. Here is a tough question from Paul. He says, I struggle with depression as a result of a physical condition. Should I take meds to help or trust in God to help me? Paul, uh, I, I don't want to sound flippant even for a second, but the answer to your question is yes, both of them. Now, I know that those who struggle with depression, I, I say often that depression is like this huge, huge club in the enemy's hands. Uh, I think it is one of his most powerful tools, and he pounds us and pounds us. And, and, and you know, when we, when we are, are struggling with depression, you know, we don't want to do the things that we know we should do. We don't want to get out of bed. We don't want to serve. We don't want to get in our Bibles. We don't want to pray. And, and, and that's Satan. So when you are struggling, and God bless you for struggling, keep fighting as least, as, as, as little as you feel like fighting. It is the most important thing for you to remember. I've got to fight. I've got to fight. I've got to get up. Uh, I've got to serve. I've got to find Jesus. I've got to open my Bible. So you keep struggling and, and, uh, because yours is a result of a physical condition. Then, yes, you need to take the meds to help. It's not a, 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 a lack of faith. It's not a lack of faith at all. I know there are churches that will teach if you only have enough faith, you wouldn't have to do that. We can live victorious lives. All that's true. But if you've got physical issues, meds help. And I'll go one step farther, Paul. Those of us who are believers, we are accountable to God to do everything that we can do in order to be able to fruitfully serve him. We've got to make sure that our witnesses are, are not compromised. So, yes, if your doctors have prescribed meds and those meds help. Now, I'm not a med guy. I'm, I'm, I'm sharing my heart with you here, but at the same time, uh, I, I, don't, I don't like what I see happening with medication. Uh, too many doctors prescribe meds. Um, uh, without really understanding what the need, the real need might be. But again, because you've already diagnosed this as a, as a result of a physical condition, then yes, you need to take them. You need to take them and let God use you. If you go off your meds and you fall back into depression, 
then you're unusable. And the only thing that's going to happen then is the enemy's going to pound you. But you also need to trust in God to help you. The truth is, when you don't feel like doing something, uh, it's, it's God's power. Paul said, when I'm weak, then I'm strong. Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. And he was talking to, to generally healthy people. So how much more for somebody whose weakness has already been diagnosed? So Paul, please um, um, bathe the, the, the questions in prayer, but take your doctor's advice. Don't let anybody make you feel guilty because you're taking medications to get you out of the depression. Just as the meds work, then get up and serve the Lord. doesn't matter what anybody else thinks or what anybody else says. And then you'll get the most help of all. Acts 5.32 says, God gives the Holy Spirit in power to those who obey Him. So when you're obeying, the power of the Holy Spirit will come upon you. And regardless of how you're feeling, regardless of what your struggle is, um, the Lord will use you. He will be glorified as a result. And that's the way to fight depression. Here is a question from Dean. Pastor on Kanye West claims to have been converted to Christianity. How do you look at f- claims by famous people like him? I assume, Dean, you mean, are they legitimate? And there's, there's no way of knowing. Now, uh, I will say this. Now, I, I don't know anything about Kanye West's music. I'm not a, uh, a fan um, other than his name um, being in the media all the time. Uh, I know nothing about him. I know he's married to Kim Kardashian. I know he's a rapper. Uh, I, I know nothing else about him. Um, I know he was lost. And by the way, Paul, this is for you. Uh, Kanye West also struggles with, uh, I don't, I'm not suggesting that's what your physical condition is, but he struggles with bipolar disorder. Um, and and um, uh, he, he treats it with meds. Um, but then I don't know anything about his life before Christ. Um, but just looking from the outside in, the things I see about Kanye West's conversion would indicate that it is absolutely genuine. Again, God knows the heart. I don't. You don't. But but he's acting like a Christian, like somebody whose heart has been grabbed by the Lord. I read a, an article um, last week, Dean, where uh, his wife, who is uber famous, famous. I mean, this this is a, a a girl who's who's been has more fame for doing nothing than anybody I think in my lifetime. Um, and and a lot of her fame um, is is connected to how she looks and 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 the the, the immodest clothing that she wears. Um, and I know that's an oversimplification. But one of the things that her husband did was ask her to dress more modestly. And she said, well, you made me this person. And I I don't know what his response was, but his response could have been, well, but I'm not the same person I used to be. Um, um, You know, Kanye West, when I got saved, you know, it was a a small blip on the radar scene, except for uh, those who, who were intimately involved in my life. Um, but I didn't have any resources. Kanye West is making a huge blip on the radar screen because he has enormous resources. And he's traveling all over the, the country, all over the world, really. And he's putting on Sunday church services, renting these huge, huge, huge venues. And people, because he's famous, are coming. Now, they may be coming for the wrong reasons, but that doesn't matter. They're coming and they're going to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. He's traveling with a man he calls his pastor. So he's not trying to become a, a pastor. Or he's not doing the teaching. Um, but he's doing the music and, and making big productions. And, and uh, you know, it looks like this is a guy who's using the gift that God has given him, taking it from glorifying the world to now glorifying the one who created the world. Uh, I think that's what a new convert to Christianity looks like, Dean. So, um, yeah, I, I I would look at the fruit and say it looks pretty genuine to me. 
but only time will tell. The danger, and I think men like Kanye West really need our prayers, the danger is that because of his fame and because of his resources, there are going to be people with motives that are less than godly who are going to try to latch on to him. He was recently uh, in, in Houston at Joel Osteen's church. Um, um, we need to pray for him because those are traps. And while he may be a genuine believer now, he's a new believer, he's immature, he's, he's just beginning to grow in his faith, he's a babe in the Lord. Um, and, and we need to pray for extra discernment for him, we need to pray for God's protection, um, and, and we need to pray that, uh, that he will finish the race well. He's starting well. And, and all we can do is look at the fruit. Um, when you ask about how do I look at claims of conversion by famous people like him? Um, I really don't have to make a judgment. And whenever I hear anybody who's famous who gives their heart to Jesus, I, I pray much in the same way that I've been explaining about Kanye West. Uh, oh, Lord, I, I pray that it's real. May he bring honor and glory, or she bring honor and glory to you. Uh, I pray for God's protection over them. Um, because the same traps are out there and famous people are easily, easily led astray. And remember, before God gives us a platform, uh, we've got to learn to walk with him a little bit. got to know him. The Apostle Paul, Saul of Tarsus, upon his conversion, um, he was telling people about Jesus. But what did Jesus do? He took him out into the Arabian wilderness for three years to be taught. So relatively speaking, even Saul of Tarsus' conversion wasn't super fruitful until after he'd had that time in the wilderness with Jesus. Thanks for the question. 340-9585, here is an anonymous question. It says, uh, Pastor Ron, I've been hurt by someone who betrayed me. They say I'm supposed to forgive like Jesus, but I just can't. At least not yet. What am I to do here? Uh, Anonymous, your dilemma is common to anyone and everyone listening to this radio program and beyond. Um, People are always going to disappoint you. They're going to betray you. And yes, you're supposed to forgive. So here's what you're supposed to do. You say, Jesus, I know you want me to forgive, but I can't. you got to do it for me. you got to do it for me. And so you start by praying, Jesus, make me want to forgive. Make me want to forgive. Now, let me give you something real practical that, that uh, um, has been super fruitful in my life, uh, Anonymous. Um, I pray for them. Um, if, if there was people, and there, there was one man in particular who really, 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 I, I thought ruined my life. Turns out when he ruined my life, Jesus picked up and put it back together, but he ruined my life. Uh, he's the only man on earth I've ever really hated. And, and God brought me to a place where I had to repent of that. And I said, Lord, I, I hate him, and I know that's ungodly. This is as a new believer. So I need your help. I can't forgive, but make me want to forgive. And Lord said, just pray for him. You and I pray for him. And and he was very specific with me in this particular case. Pray for him every day, and I did. And I remember, and I don't know how long it was. I don't think it was a really long period of time, maybe a couple of months. But I remember a day when I was praying for him, and I became acutely aware of, of how badly I wanted him in heaven. And I knew, Anonymous, that that was victory for me. Because the last thing I wanted to think about was eternity looking at this guy after what he'd done to me. And that, that moment when I realized I really wanted him in heaven, I realized that God changed my heart through prayer. So you pray for him, even if you have to pray through clenched teeth, you know, God bless him kind of thing. You keep praying, you be faithful to pray, and the Holy Spirit will be faithful to do the work of transforming your heart. 
that's the only way it can work. It's a supernatural act of God. Romans 5, 5 says God has poured out his love into your heart by the Holy Spirit that he's given you. So you've got to call by faith on God's love for this man in your heart. And let that love, God's love, come from you. And I am confident. I'm confident that God will answer your prayers. So, um, God bless you. You might drop me a note sometime and let me know how you're doing. It's always amazing how the Lord will do this um, when we have uh, a heart that wants to really please the Lord. Here is a question from... Daniel, um, via our email. Um, What are your thoughts on Alistair Begg? I've only heard him teach a couple of times on the radio, so I don't know where he's at doctrinally, but I very much enjoyed listening to him when I did. Uh, Daniel, I love him. I I, I think he is a great teacher. He is a really bright guy, and I I like intellect. Uh, He's a really bright guy. I wish I, I had his accent. People listen to people with accents. Um, but I like him a lot, uh, and I have listened to him extensively uh, over the years. Um, um, doctrinally, uh, he is um, not in a position uh, that is consistent with what we believe here at Calvary Chapel. Uh, he is uh, Reformed. He's a Calvinist. But he is uh, one of the most joy-filled Calvinists I've ever listened to. Um, he teaches and there's hope and there's passion and compassion. So he is not your ordinary Calvinist. He's, he's the, the opposite end of the spectrum from John uh, MacArthur. And I think a really sound teacher. And the only thing so far that I've had to sort of just tune out are the things where he's talking about um, his position on, on uh, the elect of God. So uh, other than that, I, I, I recommend him highly. Um, if you are discerning enough to, um, you know, chew the meat and spit out the bones, uh, I think he would be great for you. By the way, I get to meet Alistair Begg. He actually taught uh, at one of our Calvary Chapel of, of uh, our big uh, pastor's conference, senior pastor's conference in California. He did a session. Uh, I guess it's been eight years or so ago now. And... Um, um, you know, he, he was great. And, and believe me, in that audience, there was nothing about Reformed theology at all. And and not only did he do a good job, I got to talk with him for a couple of moments afterwards. And he seemed like a really nice, humble guy. So uh, I, I have nothing but um, admiration for him, even though he's a Calvinist. Here is a question from Lewis from our email inbox. What are your thoughts on the dispute between Paul and Barnabas over John Mark? Was Barnabas in the right to be willing to give Mark a second chance? Or was Paul right to be so strict on someone who had previously failed in marriage? Now, Lewis, this probably won't be very satisfying to you, but I think they were both right. I think they were both right. I think this dispute, I can see the hand of God. Now, here's the dilemma. Paul, and, and uh, I at times can be more like Paul in this situation. And I, th- I say that to my shame. Uh, Paul was mission-oriented. You know, God gave him a mission. You go do the mission. You're going to tell people about Jesus. There were miracles being done. People were in danger. That was the, 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 the case with Paul's missionary journeys. And people had to be focused. They had to be committed. They had to be tough. And so Paul was mission-oriented. And he didn't want to do anything that would jeopardize the mission. Now, you remember when, when John Mark deserted him in the first missionary journey, um, at some point, uh, evidently the Holy Spirit had been working on John Mark. And when they came back and they gave the report to the disciples at Antioch, uh, uh, Barnabas came up and said, you know, John wants to go again. And, and Paul said, there's no way. He, he, he put our first missionary journey in, in jeopardy. Uh, he's not going to put our next one. And Barnabas, who was more people-oriented, Barnabas, the son of consolation, an encourager, a wonderful, wonderful man of God. Um, and, and Barnabas 
was focused on the people. And Barnabas' response was, yeah, but Paul, you know, we've got to give grace. I've messed up before, and you've messed up before, and God gave you second chances. Let's give him a second chance. And Paul made the determination that that one person wasn't worth risking the ministry. The mission comes first. Well, in Barnabas' heart, the people came first. So why do I say they were both right? Because we know the character of both men. We know that their hearts were right. Earlier in this program, I answered a question saying, if your heart is right with God, you don't have to be right. Well, both these men, their heart was right with God. And so God sort of took this dispute and created two ministries instead of one. Now, he had Paul's, uh, uh, the replacement for Barnabas, warming up in the bullpen, uh, Silas. So Silas would go. And, and the second missionary journey was, was more than fruitful, abundantly so. And so it was a good result. On the other hand, Barnabas, who took John Mark's hand and said, come on, I'm with you. God will restore you. It's going to be okay. Um, Barnabas was used by the Lord to make a disciple that Paul himself would later write about. He's been very helpful to me in my ministry. So welcome him. I know you've heard the stories about him deserting, but welcome him as you would welcome me. He's been very useful, very helpful. So God went after John Mark and used Barnabas to do it. And John Mark, we know, the author of the Gospel of Mark, which is Peter's account of Jesus' life and ministry, um, became a very, very well-known faithful servant in the uh, in the first century church and, and a New Testament prophet. So, um, Lewis, I think they both did the right thing and God made it work out. God works all things together for the good of those who love him and who are called according to his purpose and he did. It's Acts chapter 15. Good question, Lewis. Thank you very, very much. Here is a question from... This is an anonymous one. Um, Pastor Ron, in my church, there's a man who moves strangely during worship. His arms go back and forth, and it's distracting to me. Should I tell the pastor about him? You know, anonymous, I think that guy's been in my church sometimes in the past. Um, you know, I, we, we want to give people the freedom to worship. As long as it's not distracting to the, the, the larger group. Now, in your case, you said it's distracting to you. Um, you know, you need to have a little bit better focus. Give, give the guy grace. Um, instead of focusing on him and what's uncomfortable or what you don't like, um, just say, Jesus, I'm sorry. I want to be worshiping you here. And I want my, my focus to be on you. So help me. Fill me with your spirit. And then just worship. Don't look at him. Don't worry about anybody else that's looking at him. Just give him the freedom to worship. And believe me, when somebody is behaving like that in a church, you don't have to tell the pastor about it. They know all about it. And so leave it to the pastor or the leadership in the church to deal with it. Because when people get too distracting and start distracting large groups of people, then it is one of the things that need to be addressed. Let me address a couple of things. One... Um, Worship, people say, but Pastor Ron, I just get so full of God and I, I just have to move around and I have to dance and I have to shout and have to, well, you know, you got to learn self-control. Self-control is the fruit of the Spirit. Jesus is supposed to be the object of worship and everybody who says that they're worshiping God but are causing other people to be distracted are actually detracting from the presence of the Lord. And we've, over the years, had to tell a lot of people that. So that's really, really important. You can be focused. You don't have to be distracted. When too many people are getting distracted, then the pastor or the leadership in the church will deal with it. The second thing I want to tell you is share an experience in our church. Um, um, it's been, I don't know, years now, probably eight years, nine years, um, I kept hearing this noise 
Now, the only thing that I don't allow in worship is tambourines. Uh, we don't want people running around. We, we, we want Jesus to be the focus. Tambourines, just, I, you know, I'm the pastor. I say no tambourines. There's no tambourines. But I kept hearing this noise. And I couldn't quite put my finger on it. I couldn't figure out where it was coming from. And as this man who was responsible to move around, it became clear that he was the one making the noise. And it was in worship, and it would come once or twice on a, on a rare worship set. It'd come three times. And it was it was a guy who was going, woo, really, really loud. Just woo, really, really loud. And um, when we finally identified who it was, it was a guy that God was doing such neat things in his heart in, and he's been wooing Anonymous in our church for all of these years. And honestly, now, if he doesn't make it, we miss it. And we have three services. He usually comes to the second service. And and if they're doing a song that, that I know he, this is where he would woo, I'll, I'll elbow Sam or Paula and say, and I, I won't say his name here, but I'd mention his name and say, he would have done a woo right there. And the church has come to enjoy it. My worship leader, and now, now he sits in the front, and my worship leader enjoys it. It's just a genuine, joyful expression. And, and I, I think back, if I would have been too quick to say, no, don't do that, um, then the whole church body would have been the one that missed out. So it's not distracting at all. At all. It's just one of those things that we can, in love, put up with. Hey, thanks for the calls. Thanks for the great questions. We complete another week in our service for the Lord. This is the Word to Stand Up for Life. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. Go to church and serve somebody beside you this weekend. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapel's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.